Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, today we are talking about the 1986 teen revenge slasher film Slaughter High. This was an international co-production between the U.S. and the U.K. It was filmed entirely in England, though. So I guess a U.S. production company and a, uh, a U.K. film crew and cast made on a budget of $2.1 million, but it was only released in 38 theaters between November 86 and April of 1987. So it only made $90,000 on that $2 million investment. Yeah. This, this movie probably just like would have like disappeared, but like it was like a staple in uh, video stores. Right. Yeah, I do remember seeing it in video stores. You know, the cover art is familiar to me. I mean, oh, but I've never seen it before. The cover art is fantastic. It's a, skele- a gap-toothed skeleton wearing a graduation cap and gown. Yeah. It was originally titled April Fool's Day, but it was only released under that name on VHS in Japan and the UK because Paramount Pictures, the distributor had also signed another slasher film called April Fool's Day that was pre- was already scheduled for release that year. Yeah. Uh, and that movie gets a lot of hate, but that movie's way better than, than this movie. It sounds like a lot of movies are way better than this movie. This is the first movie we've ever discussed that has a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The movie's 90 minutes long and feels like it. There were three writer-directors on this project, just like the last one we talked about. Yeah. We got George Dugdale. His only other film was called Living Doll, about a morgue worker who was in love with a corpse. All three of these guys worked on Living Doll, by the way. George Dugdale, of course, was more productive as a producer, I think, than as a writer-director. I also have Mark Ezra, known as story editor for the UK sword and sorcery TV series, The Dark Knight, which is not about Batman. Should have been about Batman. Should have been about Batman. And co-associate producer for one of my all-time favorite movies, Waking Ned Divine. I've seen that. I love that movie. That is just so funny. Waking Ned Divine, if you're not familiar with it, is about a small town in Ireland. And they all play the lottery every week there. I mean, it's just like 20 people in the entire village. Yeah. And one of the people in the village, Ned Devine, has the winning lottery number. And the town agreed that they're going to pose as Ned Devine so that they can collect the money. And they'll all split it up. And then they'll have a funeral for Ned afterwards. It's hilarious. It's like an uh, it's like an Irish version of Weekend at Bernie's, but with like because uh, like the whole town has to like do at con, you know. Right. Then we have Peter Mackenzie Lytton. He is a creature effects guy. Worked on Rawhead Rex, which looks like an Irish Godzilla. Oh man, that movie is <laughs> completely insane. The story it's based off of is uh, wackadoo. Like 
that whole thing is like messed up. Maybe we need to add that one to our list. <laughs> we should, yeah. That's that's at probably way too many times. Like this movie, Rawhead Rex, and there was like some other British horror movie. Like me and my cousin used to watch like continuously on HBO. He also worked on Heaven's a Drag about a drag queen who dies from AIDS and comes back as a ghost to be near his lover, only to find out that his lover didn't need very much time to move on with his life. I'm surprised they ain't remade that now. Yeah. I mean, it's not as topical. I mean, like, I mean, AIDS is still a big deal. <laughs> right. And special effects prosthetics by John Humphreys, who did special effects for the Johnny Depp version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He also did prosthetics for Alien Autopsy, The Young Ones, and Max Headroom. That's, that's pretty badass. Yeah. I love The Young Ones. I love Max Headroom, that thing. I can't, I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of that show. Oh, absolutely. Visual effects by Rex Neville, known for camera and electrical work on Yellow Submarine and visual effects on Heavy Metal. And the only thing I can say about this guy is. If your only work of note is on cartoons, you really can't expect great things from him in a live action movie. And that's exactly what we get. Yeah. Movie stars Carolyn Monroe as Carol. She was a pinup actress active from 1966 to present. And it's been a while, Jesse, but we're finally back to the James Bond alumni. Yeah. Uh oh man, I love her. Like she was, she like exploded, and then like was everywhere, and then like all of a sudden, just like that, like I don't know, like in the late eighties, just disappeared. Yep, she appeared in Casino Royale and The Spy Who Loved Me. She was also in The Golden Voyage of Sinbad. She was thirty-five years old at the time she made this movie, playing the role of a high school senior. Yeah, most most yeah most of those kids quote unquote kids are yeah like all in their 30s or 40s yeah and she was she was dating writer director george dugdale at the time of this filming they kind of tried to keep that under wraps so they didn't cause any problems on set and then in 1990 about the time you're saying she kind of vanished she and george dugdale got married and started having kids well that'll do it that'll do it they remained married until he died in 2020. Next, we have Simon Scudamore as Marty. This is his only film appearance. He had been battling depression and uh, developed a drug habit as a result. And shortly after filming this movie, he committed suicide. The directors were worried that, you know, with this being such a dark film, that it might have pushed him over the edge. But they said that his mother told them at the funeral that working on this film was one of the main things that brought him happiness toward the end of his life. Yeah, but uh, I don't know, man. His whole portrayal and stuff, certain scenes, it, it's really haunting, you know, especially like knowing that after the fact. Yeah. Like there's some stuff in here is like, whoa. Yeah. It's you like, know, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Watching this knowing what happened to Heath Ledger after playing the Joker. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's all right there. The signs are there. Now, this movie ruined a lot of dreams. <laughs> Carmine Iannacone as Skip. He had a two-year acting career, and that was it. Appeared in Made to Order, 
and Moonlighting with Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard, and not much else. That was a good show. And Donna Yeager as Stella. She appeared in a total of two films, this one and one called Strong Medicine, about a woman working for a pharmaceutical company that is supposedly developing a miracle cure. And we got Sally Cross as Susan. She made two movies, 15 years apart. The other movie was called Together. It was a 1971 mockumentary about sex in America. That's, that's it. These, these folks did not go on to have stellar careers. Now, we've, we've looked at some really crappy movies that launched some amazing careers. This is yeah. totally not one of them. No, this is like the where careers came to die. Exactly. Carolyn Monroe, she was already famous. Right. She got in the 70s. So like she was like the only like star power that they had in the movie. Yeah. And then like, yeah, everybody else kind of just like fizzled out. Movie opens with an exterior shot of Doddsville County High School. And it's kind of almost like a, a Newcomb High opening. We've got some cheesy hair metal inspired uh, background music and students just lounging around outside the school. Now, as we said at the top, this entire film was shot in England using English actors trying really hard to sound like Americans. (laughs) And some of them pull it off. Some of them, like Susan, don't even get close. Some of them, like the nurse at the end of it, don't even try. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we, she was Scottish or something. Uh, yeah. I don't know. And the building that we see here that is the high school also appeared in the music video for the Adam Ant hit Goody Two Shoes. Oh, hell yeah. And Carolyn Monroe was also in that video. Yeah. <laughs> Small world. Yeah. Well, you hear an announcement stating that the track meet will begin in 15 minutes and that everybody should get ready for it. Inside the school, we see Carol taking Marty somewhere so they can have sex. Well, Marty says he's up for anything, and he's also a sex machine. <laughs> As they walk past a door in the hallway, we discover that this whole thing is a setup, and there's a whole group of people following behind with video and sound equipment. Oh, my God, um, yeah. It's, it's kind like of a, a clown car scene as nine people file out of this room to follow them. Yeah, with like an old-ass camcorder, uh, like, uh, I don't know, like mic equipment, the whole nine yards. They just like all file out. There's this one lady with a bra. I don't know. It's fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most messed up 60 minutes ambush ever. Yeah. <laughs> and then as they walk past, we see a, a bulletin board. And there's a calendar on this bulletin board, and we see somebody reach up to, to pull the date off the calendar and reveal that today is April 1st, April Fool's Day. So this is obviously an April Fool's Day prank that they're getting ready to pull on Marty. Oh, man, it's brutal. Carol leads Marty to the girls' locker room, but Marty's starting to maybe have second thoughts. Well, she convinces him to follow her, and she sends him into the shower to get naked. <laughs> <laughs> Marty tells her on his way in, now I'm I'm not gonna say a word about this to anybody, but you know, if you want to tell your friends, by all means go right ahead. What the <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna do anything to ruin her reputation, but if she wants to make her friends think I'm something to go after, I'm all for that. 
Well, the gang are waiting in the hallway and one of them grabs a fire extinguisher. And I think I know where that one's going. (laughs) Somebody knocks on the door and Carol hides Marty in the shower, then opens the door and has a fake conversation with Susan as everybody files in. It's one of those one of those scenes where they're talking really, really loudly because you want to make it look normal. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it sounds there's like no way someone had that would be a normal conversation, you know? Yeah, it's, it's like a key. It's like really bad acting. It's like, yeah, wait, hold on a second. Well, I mean, to be fair, <laughs> it's like normal acting for this movie. Yeah, no, that whole movie. <laughs> Marty sees something written. On the shower wall, it says that Marty Ranson sucks. So he takes a marker out of his pocket and changes the S to an F because, well, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Fancy F. Exactly. (laughs) Carol turns on the shower as Marty gets undressed and, and, and gets really confused by a novelty condom. Oh, God. That looks kind of like a, an inflatable toothbrush. (laughs) out in the hallway the janitor notices the missing fire extinguisher and everybody left their shoes in the hallway as they snuck into this locker room i i guess so he wouldn't hear them walking in yeah he he peeps in the through the window in the door and sees all the people in there and and he gets out of there fast it's like i don't i don't want anything to do with this they don't pay me enough for this shit (laughs) yeah they don't well, back inside that locker room, Marty tells Carol this is the best birthday he's ever had. Carol's kind of starting to feel bad that this is Marty's birthday and they're going to do this horrible thing to him. But the gang kind of urges her on. Well, he decides he's ready and he pulls open the shower curtain to see the gang waiting there. And they spray him with the fire extinguisher while shouting, April Fools, where's the beef? And one guy is, is, and I think it's Skip, is poking him with a pool cue, it looks like. Yeah, it's like a pool cue or a mop handle. But yeah, that's like way too much male nudity. Yeah. Like, you know, this movie, you got to do that shit subtle. Because like, I mean, if you're going to have a guy full frontal on screen, that's fine. Yeah. You don't have to poke him in the wiener with a stick, though. Also, like you see his gooch. <laughs> like, yes. Dude, and that's just oh man yeah marty runs for a towel but somebody has hooked up a car battery to the towel rack so when he grabs it he gets shocked well the janitor it turns out actually went to the gym to find the coach to tell him look there's some fucky stuff going on in the girls locker room there's a whole bunch of guys in there and the coach is gonna have a gonna put a stop to this Meanwhile, Marty is being dragged into a toilet stall so they can shove his head in the toilet. And they don't just, uh, you know, drag him there head first so that he's like kneeling on the floor. No, they grab his naked body and turn him upside down and dunk his head in the toilet. Yeah, repeatedly. And this is all being videotaped when the coach comes in and he breaks up the fun. Uh, They all have detention in the gym. In the gym, he asks Marty why he's naked in the girls' locker room, and Marty says he must have gotten lost. <laughs> <laughs> After school in the gym, the coach is doing his best drill sergeant impression, walking down the line, basically insulting each person in turn. 
He realizes that two people are missing for the line from the lineup. Cut to the two missing guys accosting Marty at his locker. They want to apologize to Marty, so they give him a joint. Uh, the guys need to get back to detention, and Marty has to get to the chemistry lab to mix up some 246 trinitrotoluene. Any idea what that is, Jesse? Oh, uh, no, I don't. That is also known as TNT. In other words, uh, Marty's going to go play Wiley Coyote. Wiley Coyote, super genius. I like the way that rolls out. Wiley Coyote, super genius. Ah, okay, yeah. <laughs> cool outcast is in the, the science lab playing with dynamite, gotcha. Yeah, making dynamite. That's my stuff. Yeah, I mean, I thought they'd made up some nerd shit. And I went and looked it up. Now, <laughs> he's got to make TNT after school in the science lab. Man. Back in the gym, the coach has everybody doing push-ups. Some more successfully than others. Some not even trying. Meanwhile, in the chemistry lab, Marty decides this is a good time to fire up the joint the guys gave him. So he uses a Bunsen burner to light it. And it appears that this thing is full of seeds because they start popping all over the place. Marty is <laughs> Marty's coughing uncontrollably, but he tries it again and starts coughing even worse. So he gives up. He takes down this giant jug of nitric acid. And he pours some into a flask, and then he sets it back up on the edge of this very rickety shelf. And, oh, God. And runs off to the toilet to puke. That rickety-ass shelf is like some kind of thing that you would see in a cartoon, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, it's like, it still shakes and stuff after he, like, goes and runs off to the bathroom. It's, like, still shaking. It's like, God, man. Yeah, like, nobody's touching it, and this thing's wobbling all over the place. It's the worst Ikea ever. <laughs> in the gym skip throws a rock through the window and tries to make it look like somebody threw it through outside and the coach uh, is not the brightest guy in the world so he falls for it and he sends uh -huh. skip to investigate who did it on his way out skip stops by by the restroom door the restrooms are called locker rooms in this place for some reason yeah. he stops he stops he stops by the restroom door and you can hear Marty puking inside. So he sneaks into the chemistry lab and he adds some kind of powder to the nitric acid flask on the desk and makes it start foaming. And he leaves just as Marty is exiting the locker room. But Marty doesn't see him coming out of the chemistry lab. So he really doesn't know what's going on. Back in the gym, Skip tells the coach he was too tired to catch the guy who broke the window. Inside the chemistry lab, Marty's back at work making TNT when something in the flask pops. The gas line breaks and lights the whole chemistry lab on fire. Marty's trying to reach through the flames to turn off the shutoff valve for the gas. And this is when that big bottle of nitric acid falls off that rickety shelf and splashes Marty in the face. And we see... From the hallway, just an enormous fireball coming through the doorway. It was a really nice fireball. Yeah, that, that, that's a really cool scene. Like that whole where it gets flashed in his face and the fire comes out. Yeah. They used that the trailer. I remember that was awesome. That fireball was probably the best visual effect of the movie. <laughs> but, I mean, you really can't go wrong with a gasoline fireball. It's going to work. Oh, it still works. 
even if it look even if it's a half-assed gasoline fireball that's still cool yeah i mean if i'm cooking something for you know uh, i got company or something i'm cooking and they're bored fireball fireball works every time every thanksgiving deep frying a turkey fireball (laughs) (laughs) in the gym everyone runs to see what the explosion was and they gather in the doorway to see marty laying on the floor his face is burned by acid and he's trapped underneath a gas pipe that's glowing red and he burns his hands trying to get out from under it next we see paramedics wheeling marty out on a stretcher Carol stops him to tell Marty that she's sorry, and Marty just grabs her by the throat. Then we see Carol wake up screaming from a nightmare. It's five years later, and she appears to be doing pretty well for herself as a centerfold model, which was ironic because Carolyn Monroe wouldn't do nude scenes ever. Yeah, she wears skimpy outfits like all the time, like uh, all kinds of crazy outfits. But yeah, she never went uh, in Playboy or anything like that. Yeah. She's on her way to the bathroom when her agent calls her about a role in an exploitation film. And (laughs) she says the director should be locked up. Her agent says, don't worry, he was locked up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think that was like part of the script. I think that's just Caramon Rose life. Like, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, this this agent is is man. Talk about a sleazy agent. Oh, yeah. He's even got that like drawn on mustache. Stuff. <laughs> He's like just greasy as hell. Yeah. Well, Carol hangs up on him and heads to the shower. And I don't know how much she's paying for rent in this apartment, but she's got the worst water pressure ever. England. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that this was for the benefit of the camera and the sound guys, but dang. That's just the tiniest trickle of water coming out of the shower head. Yeah. It, it looks like you just turn the shower off and it's like that one little bit of water. Right. That's what it looks like. Imagine taking like a whole shower with that. Well, we see a shadowy figure pull open the shower curtain, but it's Susan who has stopped by to tell. Was it Susan or was, it was some woman? There are so many characters whose names never get mentioned in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, everybody, like, even, like, the whole little gang, you know? Yeah. It's all, like, just cannon fodder, you know? Right. There's, like, eight or ten people in this gang. We know the names of four or five of them. They're only distinguishable by their haircut, you know? Yes. Yes. So, yeah, her friend has has stopped by to let her know that that she and Ricky have have gotten engaged. Don't know who Ricky is. Don't know who this girl is, either. But apparently they're going to the to the reunion. Then we get shots of everybody heading out to the high school reunion as the background music gives away the rest of the movie. Uh, Lyrics of this cheesy metal song. We get three different kinds of music for the rest of the movie. We get suspenseful Scooby-Doo Brady Bunch music. We get this awful kind of hair metal music. Yeah. And then we get something that sounds like Tom Tom Club. <laughs> oh, man. Google Tom Tom Club, you kid. <laughs> what you going to do when you get out of jail? I'm going to have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it, it's very, very Tom Tom Club inspired music, which is weird because like the rest of the score is like Hanf- uh, Harry Manfredini, who yeah. you know that guy's legendary. He did the uh, the disco version of the Jason. Well, he did all the Jason movies, all the right. thirteen, but mostly like that disco one from like Part Three, you know? Yeah, and uh, oh man, yeah, that guy's like. So like the score is pretty cool, but then like yeah, you got like three generic butt rock songs on here. It's like just <laughs> and the lyrics. Like I said, the lyrics give away the the rest of the movie. Stretch your stuff and meet your doom. Today's the day you're gonna pay. I'll show you I ain't no fool. <laughs> well, we see Skip driving an old Volkswagen Beetle. The radio says there should be a storm coming, and also it's April Fool's Day. He stops on the side of the road to pick up Nancy. She tried to hitchhike to the reunion. And once she gets in, well, Skip's car won't start. Nice. Skip gets out to look at the engine. And while he's doing this, Joey and Stella manage to very quietly roll right up behind him in a giant Ford Ranger and blow the horn. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That startles him and causes him to bang his head. It was in whisper mode. It was in whisper mode, yes. (laughs) <laughs> this was around the time of airwolf so <laughs> if they can put whisper mode on a helicopter they can put it on a ford ranger well as they greet each other on the side of the road carol flies by in her bmw joey says he can fix skip's cars joey's a all-around mechanic i guess and then we get a shot of skip driving but he- he's not really driving <laughs> he's being towed by joey's pickup So I guess he couldn't fix it after all. (laughs) They arrive at the rundown school. This place looks bad now. Yeah. In the opening shots at the beginning of the movie, it looks like, I don't know, like a college campus. Right. Now it looks like an insane asylum. Yeah, it's all overgrown. The only thing that's missing are some broken windows. Well, Frank rides up on his motorcycle and crashes it. Don't know why. It really didn't advance the story any. It just uh, I just sets the expectation that Frank's a dummy. Yeah. At night, they are still waiting for the rest of the class reunion party to arrive. Apparently, they've been hanging out there all day waiting for somebody to show up so the party could start. And now it's dark. They decide to go into the old school building to wait. Uh, the doors are locked, so a couple of the guys go around to break a window and get in. They get the front doors open, and everybody sneaks inside. School building's completely dark in there. And the, 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 the dark hallway scenes are just horrible in this movie because yep. you, you can't see anything. It's basically a black screen with maybe you'll see a shadow moving on a black screen, but it, it's awful. The outline of a hand, maybe, and then that's it. Yeah. As they sneak through the dark hallway, we get our first obligatory jump scare as somebody pops around a corner wearing a hockey mask and says, who'd you think I was, Jason? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, one of the producers of this movie was, I think, the producer of the first Friday the 13th movie. So, yeah, they uh, they try to sneak in all kinds. They they marketed this as like, yeah, from the guys that brought you Jason. It was like like a money. (laughs) Wasn't Sean Cunningham? Wasn't had nothing to do with it. It's just, yeah, we got to do this because it's big, you know. Exactly. Well, they finally get the lights on, and they blame Skip for setting this whole thing up as a joke. But Skip didn't have anything to do with it. He's a victim just like the rest of them. 
the girls want to leave, but the guys say, let's go find our old classrooms and reminisce while they wait for the storm to pass. Yeah. So the group splits up and goes exploring. Carol goes to the gym. Joey and Stella find a bedroom with a secret doorway that we will never see again. <laughs> the The bedroom is is oddly clean while the rest of this place is covered with cobwebs. Then uh, we see a dark room and the gang enters and turns on the lights to find the party spread. And somebody has moved their lockers into this room. There are photos of each of them on a bulletin board behind them. And some of their lost items are in the locker, including an old sneaker, very dirty sneaker, and a calculator. There's a note to Carol from Marty asking her if she wants to go out to a movie with him. And Marty's locker is also there. And when they open it, there's a giant rat inside it and a Marty's yearbook. Somebody asks what happened to Marty after the fire. And Skip says he put spent six months in the hospital. Some of the skin grafts didn't take and he had a complete mental breakdown. They say he still roams the nut house, plotting his revenge. The gang seems horrified by this, and Skip says, eh, I just made all that crap up. Last time I heard, he was working for IBM. <laughs> <laughs> then they settle in for some drinking, and out in the hallway, we see somebody standing there wearing Skip's old jester mask. Next, we see the gang sitting around getting high. I don't know if any of these guys had ever held a joint in their lives. Most of them are passing a joint around, except for Carol. Carol can't be bothered with that. She brought her own cocaine. Thank you very much. I'm a Hollywood actor. <laughs> I don't I smoke pot. They give this to you in the Actors Guild. It's like, That's you know, right. You get your union card. You get your trailer. And in your trailer is your own personal supply of cocaine. <laughs> That's just the way it works. Nancy wants somebody to go with her. Because she's got to pee. And she wants Skip to go for some reason. But Carol volunteers to go instead. Frank and Skip decide this is a good time to pull a prank. <laughs> Pro tip, guys. If your weekend has already gone to shit. Bad time to pull a prank. Yeah. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a snowball. You know, it's like you, you start off with some like nice kind of funny lighthearted and stuff and then by the time you know it you're gonna like wreck your car or something don't do it exactly in the restroom the girls turn on the light and head toward the stalls when skip and frank jump out of the shower causing nancy to wet herself oh man <laughs> as the guys leave they're startled by the former janitor digby who is now the caretaker of the abandoned school moving on up he is he is moving up he tells them the school's being demolished next month, but they're welcome to hang out as long as they don't start any more fires. So Skip hands Digby a beer and he heads off. As Digby heads down the hallway, a person wearing the jester mask jumps out at him, grabs him by the throat, and hangs him from his skull uh, from a coat hook hanging on the, on the door. Just picks him up and then shoves that coat hook right through the back of his head. That's not enough, though. He picks up one of his hands and nails his hand to the door, too. There's our first kill of the movie. Back in the party room, Nancy makes a bet with Skip that he can't win a, a cheesy party game. Basically, she's got a funnel 
and she's going to shove this funnel down the front of Skip's pants, and Skip has to drop a quarter off of his forehead and catch it in this funnel. But he's got to do it twice to win the bet. So he does it the first time, no problem. Gets ready, gets set up to do it the second time, and before he can do it, Nancy dumps a glass of water into the funnel down his pants. So there's payback for making her pee herself in the restroom. And that's when Carol explains that it's after midnight, and that means it's April Fool's Day. Dun, dun, dun. We get more party games as Ted shotguns a beer. After he finishes the beer, though, Ted doubles over in pain, and he pulls his shirt open, and we can see his belly is starting to expand. His stomach splits open, and all of his guts spill out, and blood explodes all over um who was that shirley we don't know her we don't know her name yet they haven't given her a name yet but she gets splashed in the face with blood that's an elaborate prank that is a very elaborate prank and we get a shot of a photo of marty in his locker followed by a shot of acid foaming out of the beer can so it's not enough to do this we got to say see this guy that's what he did get it Get it? Yeah. <laughs> also, like, yeah, it's the mid-80s and stuff, but it comes off like some kind of, I don't know, like, 60s, like, type vibe. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It, it's really weird the way they're acting and shit. Right. Well, the whole gang run for the front doors, but the front doors have been locked, and the windows have electrified bars on them. Shirley has been separated from the group, and she's still upstairs. She heads to the locker room where she fills a bathtub to wash the blood off of her. I've been in a number of locker rooms, but I haven't seen one with a bathtub in it. I know, right? But I've never seen a school with a bedroom and a secret passage in it either. This is totally like an insane asylum. Yeah. It it totally like is that, you know, like that whole bathroom. That's like something that you would see in an asylum and shit. I I think you're right. Yeah. Downstairs, one of the guys manages to squeeze through the electrified bars and get to Carol's car. This is one of the guys that we will never know his name. Carol says, Carol, when she gave him the keys to the car, said it always starts on the very first try. Well, when he gets in it, it will not start. (laughs) And it doesn't take long to find out why. It appears that Marty is hiding in the back seat. And stabs this guy right through the seat. Inside the school, the gang doesn't see any of this. They don't know this has happened. But they do see the car finally start up and start to drive away. Then it turns around and comes back so that the headlights can shine on a fence. And we see this dead guy propped up on the fence there. Upstairs, Shirley is in the bathtub. And she's turning on the faucet to add more water to the tub. But it's not water coming out of that faucet. It's acid. Yeah. It starts burning her skin off. There's some pretty good makeup effects for this scene. Some really good burn effects. Yeah. This, that, the tub scene and that part where the guy drinks the beer are pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Right. Well, she falls under the water and her face melts off. Uh, the gang come busting through the door just in time. To find that there's nothing left in that bathtub except her charred skeleton. And that's when they realize Marty is picking them off one by one. Yeah. I, I, I like, or I don't like, but I, I think that's weird. 
usually in these type of movies, like, I don't know, like the prom night or air train, it's like, you don't really know who the killer is. It's just, you did somebody wrong. And then like, you get like, you know, closed off from society. And then like one of y'all like starts dying, like, you know, starts getting picked off by one. And then you find out at the end, it was the guy that got done wrong or like their brother or something or their sister. Yeah, exactly. And this one, they're like, nah, it's, it's straight up Marty the entire time. Right, right. I, we've seen those movies where people, we just, we don't know any of the, any of the backstory. We just see people getting killed and we kind of feel sorry for the people who are getting killed only to find out later they were the assholes all the yeah. whole time. And, but not here. You're right. We, we know exactly what's going on from the beginning. There's no mystery to solve. It's hundred percent suspense. Yeah, and that's fine. It, it, we've we've watched a bunch of movies like that. Yeah. Well, Susan arrives at the school and she walks around the dark exterior of the school, trying to find a way to get in. When the only door that has a light over it just opens up and says, "Come on in." So she does because that's what you do at a dark, spooky building. <laughs> Uh, she's alone in a trashed hallway. As she walks through the hallways, she encounters a doorway that is covered over with a life-size poster of Marty. And as she walks up to it, hands burst through the poster, reaching for her. <laughs> he must have got a good deal at Kinko's or something. <laughs> like, well, there's, there's posted of him all over the fucking place. You're right, right. Like, yeah, that life-size poster, man, that, that, that was probably pretty funny in, like, 86. What's disappointing about this, though, is we see Marty's hands bust through the poster, but we don't ever see the kill, and we never see Susan again. Yeah. It, it's just over, right there, done. Really cheap. Well, Frank tells Skip that Shirley's dead. Frank has an idea how they can use a tractor that Joe said he saw earlier. They head to the garage and they find a lawn, uh, a small lawn tractor or riding lawnmower, and they want to use that to bust down the doors and escape. <laughs> well, Joe's going to try to get the lawnmower running for their escape attempt because, of course, it won't start. But that's okay. Joe's a mechanic; he can fix everything. While Joe's busy doing this, his wife Stella decides she wants to hit on Frank. <laughs> She even goes so far as to tell Frank, Joe's not the father of their child. Frank is the father of their child. In the garage, we see Joe underneath the lawnmower working on it when somebody walks in. He thinks it's Frank, so he asks him for a wrench, and it's not Frank. It never is. It's not Frank, but he does give him the wrench, and then he lowers the jack, trapping Joe under the lawnmower. Then he reaches over and starts the lawnmower, starting to think this is Marty. <laughs> <laughs> what tipped you off? So the lawnmower's running, the blades are spinning, and Joe's got to hold this lawnmower up or be killed by the spinning blades. That's when Marty reaches down and cuts Joe's wrists. And of course, that causes him to drop the mower and the blades chop him up. In the bedroom that we found earlier, Stella is disappointed that Frank couldn't get it up. And she teases him until he decides, that's it. Here we go. (laughs) 
apparently all he needed was somebody to make fun of him to get him going. Oh, he's one of those perverts. Okay. <laughs> hey, everybody's got their kink. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. his. <laughs> I don't know, man. This is like the weirdest reunion ever. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a bad reunion. <laughs> I, I've never gone to any of my high school reunions. I've never really had any desire to go. But man, if they're like this, I, I'm glad I didn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the beer is horrible. <laughs> Don't drink the Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Stick to Bud Light. Don't drink the PBR. Always domestic. Never getting imported shit. <laughs> Well, somebody startles Carol awake. It was Skip trying to sneak a cigarette out of her pocket. Upstairs, Stella wants Stella and Frank are going at it. Stella wants Frank to talk dirty to her, but he's really bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that part, this whole part kind of like made me chuckle out loud a couple of times. <laughs> it's funny. He says, talk dirty. He says, uh, tits. No, talk <laughs> dirty, dirty. Uh. Screw! <laughs> He's really bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's probably one of my favorite kills, too. Meanwhile, somebody, could it be Marty, is tampering with something electrical. Stella yells that she's coming and she grabs the metal bed frame just as Marty throws a switch, electrocuting her and Frank. Yeah, that's pretty cool, like pyrotechnic scene. That, 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 that scene was pretty cool. I like that one. That was good. That was good. And downstairs, Skip goes, wow, she must have really needed that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a very, very juvenile humor here, and it's, it's fun. I like it. Yeah. Well, Nancy goes to decide she's going to go check on Joe, and she finds him dead under the lawnmower and runs back to Skip and Carol. They head upstairs to find Stella's charred corpse on the bed. And Skip starts shouting challenges at Marty. Yeah, that's going to work. The three surviving members of the group head to the gym and Skip finds a mop handle to use as a weapon. So they leave the gym. Nothing's going to happen here. He's just going to pick up a mop handle and they're going to go. There's like one hallway, a stairwell, two hallways, a stairwell, and three rooms that make up this entire movie. Yeah. They decide to find a defensible room and wait for Marty to come to them. They just need to wait until April's Fool's Day ends at noon. This was kind of a cultural oversight. The movie was supposed to take place in the U.S., but this April Fool's Day tradition that they mention is exclusive to England, where you pull pranks right up until noon, and if anybody pulls a prank after noon, that person is the April Fool. Yeah, they get their ass beat. Yeah. But like, the, I, I kind of remember reading about that when I was younger, but I was like, it's like one of those <laughs> useless Jeopardy tidbit things. But right. Yeah. This movie teaches it like it's like, I don't know, like common law or some canon, you know? like. Well, it, air- it, it sets that horror movie trope that all we have to do is make it till dawn and this is over. Just like in Feast, only these guys have to make it to noon. Nancy freaks out and starts blaming Skip and Carol for all this. And she's kind of right because they were the masterminds of terrorizing Marty uh, back in school. They, they did kind of make this monster. Yeah. Which is Skip- like, a, like another flaw in this movie is like usually in these type of movies, there's one person that's like kind of innocent. 
and like kind of got dragged into it. Uh huh. And you feel bad for it. And this one, you, you kind of just want all of them to die. Right. Like they're yeah. all bad. Exactly. They are all jerks who were terrorizing the little geeky kid. Well, Skip says all they have to do is stay awake. And then he promptly falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because you're, you're going to knock out like that's quicker than ambient. You know, it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> before that sentence even left his mouth, he was passing out. You know, <laughs> exactly. He wakes up when he hears something in the hallway and goes to investigate with his mop handle. And he gets grabbed from behind by somebody and dragged off off screen. Carol wakes up and sees that Skip is gone. It's after 11 a.m. So all they have to do, they've got less than an hour to last. And then this will all be over. Carol wants to go find Skip, but Nancy isn't having any of that. She's staying put. And then when Carol leaves, Nancy gets scared and goes with her anyway. (laughs) Cut to Skip in a room that looks like a chapel. He is bound and gagged with a noose around his neck, and we see a shadow of Marty wearing that jester mask as he knocks the chair out from under Skip, hanging him. Skip is struggling to escape when the rope that he's hung by breaks and he falls to the floor. We see Carol and Nancy do a retrospective. They go back and visit all the places where their friends died. And they find that all the bodies are gone and all the gore has been cleaned up. It's like it never happened. That caretaker is really good at his job. He is. <laughs> I mean, it didn't take him any time at all to get all those dead bodies out of there. No. I There's a lot of blood there in that garage, too. Oh, God, yeah. And it's like spotless. Yeah. Well, Nancy gets hysterical at this point. Carol tells her they just have to find Skip and they can leave. They can walk in as they walk out of the room past a jester mask lying on the floor and nobody notices it. After they leave, we see Marty reach down and pick up the mask, though. He was in the room with them and and just let them walk out. Carol and Nancy hear noises as they search for Skip. And it turns out it's a video. It's the videotape of the gang dunking Marty's head in the toilet. They turn on the lights and they see Marty's yearbook and everybody who's dead has a red X drawn through their picture. And then there's Nancy's picture and it has just one line drawn through it, which means Nancy's next. And she just freaks out. She manages to make it out of the school. She found a door that was open, apparently, and runs outside. But Marty's chasing her as she's running across this overgrown yard. She falls in a septic tank. The sewer pipe that empties into the septic tank is burning hot for some reason, but she fights through the pain and starts to crawl out of the septic tank until Marty just puts a foot on her face and pushes her back in and then walks away. Very gently pushed her back in there. Some hot shit, man. Yes. (laughs) A steaming pile. (laughs) God, I ought to be ashamed of myself. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That'd be a this movie, man. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody paid $2 million to make this thing. God. Yeah. <laughs> Inside the school, Carol is still searching for Skip when she opens a door and finds uh, the dead caretaker. Well, she runs for the locker room and hides in a toilet stall, crouched up on top of the toilet. It's almost noon. She's got like 15 minutes and this is all over. Well, she hears something. Sounds coming from the toilet. 
So she's got to investigate. When you're running from a killer, you don't investigate the toilet. We've yeah. seen toilets do bad stuff to people in some of these movies. Snakes come out of toilets, Jesse. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Bulletproof radioactive snakes come out of toilets. And if you don't have Suzuki, that's your shit. Your shit's cooked. That, that's it. <laughs> and if you have no clue what we're talking about, go back and listen to the um, uh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii episode. It's totally worth it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great. I don't care. I love that movie. That's a good movie. <laughs> that was so much fun. Well, Carol did not listen to that episode of our podcast, and she looks in the toilet. And it looks like acid bubbling up out of the toilet. So she tries to flush it and that just causes it to overflow. So she runs out of the locker room and she's in a dark hallway. Every hallway is dark except for the one that isn't. And, and we see this ball come rolling toward her for somewhere and she gets a baseball bat. She takes a baseball bat with her as she investigates another room where she finds another corpse. Might have been the guy who was stabbed in the car. Not really sure. So she runs back the way she came and heads up the stairs to the doorway with the Marty poster. As she approaches this poster, Marty jumps through football style. Yeah. Jumps through the poster and Carol just beats him down with the baseball bat. <laughs> no hesitation. Just starts wailing on him and down he goes. And she starts to run away. and. The light bulbs just start exploding down the hallway. Oh, yeah, like a Michael Jackson video. It's yes. Bad. <laughs> you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> what? You see those videos? It happens every time. Well, as the bulbs are blowing out, we see Marty. He's got the baseball bat, and he's heading after Carol. He chases Carol all through the school. It's a very slow chase down dark stairs because even when a mass murderer is after you, safety first. Yeah. <laughs> but when she gets down the stairs, the doors are still locked and Marty continues to follow her. Carol runs into the auditorium and gets up on the stage. This is the first time we've seen the auditorium here. She gets on the stage and she's hiding behind the curtains. Marty stops to trade his baseball bat for Skip's mop handle and continues to chase after Carol. I see Carol kind of walking around backstage behind the curtains and Marty tries to stab her through the curtains with the mop handle. He misses twice and Carol starts walking backwards. Pro tip number two, when a mass murderer is after you, never walk backwards. Yeah, uh, she's a total novice, man. Right. It's like she's never done this before. <laughs> well, she's walking backwards across the stage and Marty grabs her by her ankle and pulls her off the stage. She manages to get away from Marty somehow and runs out into the hall where she finds a conveniently placed axe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now she's hiding just outside the doorway with this axe. And through the doorway, we see Marty. But Marty doesn't come through the doorway. He heads off to the side. Then we focus in on Carol. She hears something in the doorway. She spins around, swinging that axe, but it's not Marty there. It's Skip. And she yeah. just splits his face in two with the axe. <laughs> and oh, God, that is so funny. It's like, because that guy is like, he's, I don't know, he was like the lead asshole. Right. You know? And, uh, 
just to see like she killed him and then she screamed because she realized what she does and while she's screaming i can't stop laughing because <laughs> <laughs> the editing it's like bam and like you see whose face it is you know and he's got the axe coming out you know like the half act you know across right the phone or whatever and it's like oh my god it's just funny as fuck well i mean this is the one kill that caught me by surprise yeah because every other kill in this movie you can see it coming from a mile away oh, we man, knew that up, skip we knew that skip got down from the noose we knew the rope broke and he got down but we never saw him again until just now and so this was a great great surprise yeah well as carol backs away marty grabs her through a window but she gets away from him she runs through a hallway and we see marty leap through one window miss carol go crashing out another window and fall to the gymnasium floor and they use like a bad dummy too that's, that's funny. That's hilarious. Carol looks out the window, sees Marty laying on the gymnasium floor, and then just tosses his mop handle out to him and walks away. <laughs> what the hell was that? I guess she was like, good riddance. Like, she thought it was over. I guess. And, and it probably was. She, she probably thought it was over. And then we see the clock strike noon. So April Fool's Day is over. And she's going to to just get out of here. Except as soon as she walks away, Marty sits up and grabs the mop handle. And he's still on the hunt. Uh, the chase resumes, going back through the same old hallways again. And Carol runs into the locker room. This time, though, she's going to hide in the shower. Well, Marty follows her in there. He has to break the door open to get in there. But he follows in there and he, he sees her in the shower. He rips the shower curtain open and pulls off the mask, revealing the scars on one side of his face. And then he just stabs her through the belly with the mop handle. Everybody's dead now. But this ain't over. Now, remember, Marty's crazy. So he starts hallucinating and he hears the voices of the gang calling his name. When he goes to investigate, he finds himself in the party room. And it's all foggy now, like a white snake video. <laughs> yeah, no, that's accurate. <laughs> it's all foggy, and the zombie corpses of the people he killed are coming up out of the fog to taunt him. And they're all coming for him. So he runs for the front doors to the school. He gets the doors open, but it's not the front doors to the school. It's actually a door to a closet, and all the corpses are in there, and they're coming for him again. Then we cut to a hospital room. Marty's laying in the bed with his face all bandaged up. A nurse comes in to give him a shot. It seems that this was all a dream. The whole thing was a dream. The nurse says the doctor did a great job repairing his, uh, fixing his burns, and he'll be able to take the bandages off in a couple of weeks, and she reaches over to give him a shot. Out in the hallway, we see a nurse and a doctor talking, and an alarm starts to go off. Well, the doctor goes to investigate and he looks in the door in Marty's room and he can see the nurse bent over the bed as Marty's thrashing in the bed, yelling at Carol. Well, the doctor unlocks the door to go in there. And when he he puts his hand on the nurse's shoulder, she turns around and it's not the nurse at all. It's Marty wearing the nurse's clothes and holding a hypodermic needle. 
which he uses to stab the doctor in the eye. And Marty walks over to the mirror and takes a look at himself, starts peeling the skin off of his own face, like right up in the camera. So you make sure you get a good look at it. Yeah. Then fade to black and roll credits. Yeah. You don't want to do that with like crappy makeup because it's like, especially in slow motion, because it's like, man, that's, that's a horrible makeup job. But yeah, that's that's the way they went out. That's the way they did it. Just peel the latex off of the bruise makeup face. Yeah. It was a bold decision. (laughs) (laughs) It ended up with a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. But it was a fun movie. It was fun to watch. Uh, It had had kind of a Scooby-Doo feel to it. Yeah. I like that about it. I kind of like those movies. There was a couple good kills in there. Right. Solid. Um, yeah, the janitor kill was great. The lawnmower kill was great. Actually, most of the kills were really good there. I don't know. Uh, I know it kind of inspired, like, because that whole killer look that he has, where it's like just a rubber Halloween mask, which is right? like that duster mask, and then like a Letterman's jacket. Yeah. That's, that's I love that. Uh, it, there was a, a game called, uh, what was it? Uh, Miami. Hotline Miami. Okay. And in that, it's like an old school kind of like arcadey kind of like uh, thing where you're like a killer and you're uh, you're insane. And when you go out on job, uh, you put on a rubber mask, usually a chicken mask or uh, a horse mask, and you're wearing like a letterman's jacket. And I know that was inspired by this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it in other stuff. Plus the whole thing where... Um, I don't know, there's a bunch of movies where, yeah, like someone gets murdered or done wrong and they go on revenge and, you know, they got like uh, until midnight the next day, you know, or something like to get revenge before they die, you know? Right. That trope is pretty cool. Uh, But like, I don't know, it's like just weirdly executed. They put that dream sequence in, which kind of like, like uh, made the rest of the movie like just bullshit. Yeah. 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 Because so like it invalidated like everything that was before that. But yeah, yeah, that that I didn't I didn't really appreciate that. I, I they could have just ended with the last kill, but no, they had to put the dream sequence in there. It was. I mean, I understand after our last uh, after the last movie we did, which was uh, super trippy. I understand why they would have wanted to put a little psychological aspect into it. But it wasn't well thought out. It wasn't well executed. It actually took away from the movie. Yeah. It's like everybody half-assed it on this, except for like the makeup guys. Makeup guys did a fantastic job. The special effects guys did fantastic work. I love the janitor. Hell yeah. The janitor was the funniest character in the whole movie. But yeah, it was fun to watch. The cover art, though. The cover art is fantastic. That's, that's what sold this movie, man. All right, man, I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. 
Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Thank you.